Okay, with Matthew Forbes, David is a short film play at the LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. A really interesting film. Looking forward to chatting with you about that. But before we start, I'm not going to give away the location from where you where you live. Let's not do that at all. But I live extremely close to you. I basically, oh. if I took a driver out of my driveway with a golf club, I probably could hit your thing. I'll give you a little oh, yeah. hint. You live close to a school named after a very famous female uh, during the World War II era. Yes, I do indeed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> should I be looking out my window to see if there's like, which houses have lights on? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that, yeah. And I can also say the hint that one of my children go to, go, goes to that school as well. So, oh, okay. So it's just an extremely small world that, that uh, we're having yeah, this wow. conversation with. I was kind of blown away when I, I saw your, your address on film freeway. That's how I know you really live because it's on film freeway under wow. submission. So we can talk about that after the podcast, but let's talk talk about your uh, film right now, Uh, David. It's uh, it's it's, this is based on a a true story, correct? Yes, Um, David Shannon. uh, He was. uh, I used to work at the CBC um, off and on for about eighteen years, and uh, I worked in radio. And he worked in radio too. He was this tall, incredibly handsome, super charming, hilarious uh, guy with a slight Irish lilt. Um, he was openly gay, and I knew that in his younger days he'd been an activist, but he never talked about those days. Um, he passed away in 2018, um, and at his wake, he mentioned that one of his brothers mentioned that uh, during the HIV-AIDS crisis of the uh, 80s, um, a lot of men who had been who were diagnosed with HIV, um, they had to come out of the closet as a result, and when they did a large number of them were completely ostracized by their friends and family and basically left to die alone. Um, And there's a handful of people here and there around the world who saw that happening and sort of stepped in to, to help care for these men. Um, They didn't, and and David did that. And during his wake, his brother mentioned that he did this with around 50 patients sitting with them and helping them uh, as they passed away. Um, this was a shock to me. I didn't know that he had done that. He'd never talked about it. Um, and I decided that that was a story that needed to be told. I thought maybe an essay, uh, do some research, talk to people, but nobody in his life knew any details about it. One of his brothers knew that it had happened because as David himself was getting toward the end, he mentioned his own experience, um, caring for patients and how it felt to him to be now being cared for. Um, I, I, I reached out to his activist pals. He was sort of, he was an act up in Montreal and they all said, yeah, we knew he was doing something like that, but we didn't know any details. He didn't tell, tell us about it. So it was something that he never, he, he never shared with anybody. Um, and so that made me more want to tell it, but it had to be a made up story because there just, there was no research. There was no, there were no details. So. I basically wrote the, the film as a short, uh, about 10 minutes, detailing his 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 balance between being an activist and also caring for uh, one ostracized patient until he passed away in a in a society that was so deeply homophobic. It's you know, it's it's I mean it's still homophobic, but back then, holy moly, yeah. it was so dark, so toxic. And people were scared too, right? They thought that. They, yeah, it was contagious. They didn't like a different, yeah. a different. It was a different kind of moment when it was almost like COVID in a sense, where more information was coming along, as as right. through through the through the years, I guess, right? 
Yes. But, you know, at the time, culturally, it was seen as a gay yeah. cancer, gay disease. And because of the homophobia, it became a source of so many jokes. You know, um, in my research, I came across uh, footage of uh, a press conference at the White House where a reporter asked the spokesman, the White House spokesman, about Ronald Reagan's uh, response to the AIDS crisis. Yeah. And it turned into a joke, both of them laughing back and forth. Oh, uh, I hope you don't have AIDS. Oh, no, not me, of course. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, people were dying. Thousands of people were dying. And they were they were being refused treatment. And people, it was just, it, it reinforced so many homophobic perceptions of, of gay men. And, you know, something like 75% of, of people with HIV AIDS in North America were gay men. You know, it was just this horrible. I was I was in high school at the time, but I still remember amazing people just dying suddenly. And it was just a horrible time. So I really want to remember that, especially in this time that we're in now where, you know, empathy and compassion are just they seem like they're being rejected wholesale, you know, and, and I, I just wanted to sort of say we can still choose to care. You know what I mean? We can't we don't have to just go with the flow and and not care if people live and die. We can still care if we want to. They go back to it. You're talking about the White House. I, there's Ronald Reagan. I think it's his HBO. Uh, there's there's like an HBO series documentary, and they show that clip that you describe. Yeah. And yeah. they also show that he was basically, or that administration was about two years behind the crisis. At they, least. They, they didn't yeah. do anything. They like no, there's they people. They did. They did nothing, and because uh, no. it was like they didn't care in a sense. Because it was like, yeah. oh, that's. I think- the, Honestly, my personal suspicion is that they were glad. If if as long as it's just gay men dying, that's fine. It's God's judgment, whatever. I think that's my own personal. I know that's dark and paranoid, but that's just kind of, you know, how I feel because there's no other way to explain that level of indifference. And you know, you look at you know uh, Eddie Murphy in one of his stand-up routines was making horrible jokes about AIDS, and you know it was a common thing. Just it was just a big fat joke. You know, people dying, and it was a joke. It's just awful. Yeah, those things don't don't hold up and uh, very well, do they? No, no. <laughs> I don't know if Eddie Murphy ever apologized for that or not. But no, when you because he, he he the argument is that he's doing it. He's he's. I think he talked about it. Where like it's it's for comedy and and yeah, it's that's a subjective argument. And like, but basically, I'm doing a comedic routine, and and I know he he would say I know gay people, and they didn't have a problem with it. Blah blah blah. Right. So right, right. Probably. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a whole I other mean, if, thing. If you watch the routine now, it it's shocking. It it's doesn't. Horrible. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't like. Well, that's like a lot of things, right? They don't. They don't stand the test of time, right? So no, that's there's a lot of like, obviously, a lot of you know, stereotypical characters in movies and in television, right? Mm-hmm. That don't stand up today, right? So. No, that's very true. Very true. So tell me about the, like doing this, this particular, because basically the film is kind of like, it's like one scene of him taking care of, of, of the gentleman, but his, 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 his performance and his, in finding in the cast was, obviously very important. So where, where, who, was the, who was the actor involved that you found to, to play this role? Yeah, um, for casting, I went with, uh, you know, it, it's the casting process is always so fascinating. You never know, you know, you, you set out with sort of an image of in your head of what you want. And then 
and this guy, Zach Marsh, um, he reached out to me. He said, you know, he's, he'd never done any acting in his life, always wanted to try it. And I said, oh, sure, send in a, here's a bit of the script, send in a demo video, whatever, it's fine. Not expecting much. And he, he knocked my socks off. He was amazing. He really put his heart and soul into it. And so I immediately, I had to cast him. And um, the uh, for the landlady, it was all done. This was all done virtually, of course, because everything was still locked down at the time of casting. Um, and I, it's it's interesting how different it is to to do casting on a virtual basis. I guess it's it's pretty normal now, but back then, it, I'd never done it before. And you know, you really because you're seeing it on a screen, it's it's and it's interactive. You kind of see what it would like, what it would look like through the camera. The, it takes away, it puts a little distance in a, in a good way. Um, but yeah, Zach, Zach was just amazing. And he, he just was passionate about the project. Um, and we we filled in, filmed in two locations at the Richmond Hill public library at uh, young and major McKenzie in uh, Richmond Hill. And then at a private condo uh, South of young above around highway seven um, Richmond Hill was the only place giving permits at the time for filming. So uh, we were able to, uh, we had to keep it within uh, Richmond Hill. Um, so there was one half was was him being the activist and the other half him being the caregiver. Um, but, uh, you know, the Zach was, was as David, uh, he was up for anything. He was game. He had no, he didn't hold back at all. He, you know, it was, I really felt, you know, I've been in a few death rooms myself and I really felt that he captured the, the feeling of of when you're caring for someone at the end of their life where you have to be this strong person yet show caring and yet there's this still a vibe of waiting you know you're just waiting for the end you know it's coming and the other person maybe knows maybe they don't know but uh you know that's he he is really you know i wanted him to be the avatar of everyone who's ever been in a death room before and I think like it, some some would say that that's an easy like playing the the Dutch gentleman is an easy role to play because all he do all he's is is doing is lying down in the bed. Oh <laughs> yes, but no, but he uh, yeah, there's well, emotion like actually, there. We had first of all, we had we had a lot of makeup on him. We we used uh, glycerin uh, to make sweat, and some of it was in his eyes. He was actually in a lot of pain during all those takes. Um, he only told us afterwards, he's like, get this out of my eyes. I'm dying. He, he, he was like a, a real pro as well. Um, you know, cause it's just one of those deals where when you're a pro, you just do what you got to do. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted him cause you know, I, I want to bring a little bit more, it sounds weird life to dying because you're more than just meat. That's, you know, a, a graph going down to zero. There's there's actual activity there. There's actually a little bit of still grasping for life, a little bit of not quite willing to let go and little, still a little bit of fight going. And, you know, that's, that's what I was, uh, that's what I was going for there. And and I think, you know, every performer. So, you know, sorry about that. No problem. We, I, is this live? Oh, sorry. I got a kid coming in. No, it's um, it happens all the time. Most people, most okay. time, it's it's a dog, it's an animal, but sometimes there's kids. They should be asleep by now. We're doing this like almost at eleven o'clock at night. I know, I know. It's summertime. They're <laughs> it's up. It's summertime. Yeah, I'm just I'm totally yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's twelve. So um, you're is this your is it correct? This is your first film. 
Yeah, this was my the first film that I was uh, in charge of. I've kind of, you know, done little peripheral things here and there on other projects. But um, I've this was my first, my own personal first project. Yeah. Um, so and that's that's amazing because you said you worked at the CBC for a long time. You worked in Curtain Affairs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was your job uh, at, at the CBC? Like what it like what is Curtain Affairs? I was an associate producer, uh, low level and. I would work at the CBC for a couple of years and save up some money. And then I'd travel abroad. I lived in China for five years. I volunteered in West Africa. You know, I was just kind of a young guy living my life. Um, and I was always a writer and I wrote and I always wanted to uh, to work in film, have a film career. Um, and I just, this, I decided that this project would be the way to do it because you know, I loved, I truly loved David and I, and I mourned his loss. Um, and I felt that his, he set an example that we all can and should try to follow. Uh, we can all, we should all be showing more compassion as a society than we do generally, especially on social media. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, this, something clicked when I was writing this script that I just knew that I was going to be shooting it as well. So you did also also during COVID as well. That's uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote this short and submitted it to a lot of festivals and uh, the the script. And I wrote a feature as well. Actually, I wrote two features during COVID as well as this short. So you're busy. Um, uh, yeah, I was busy and homeschooling my both of my kids during. I was going to say because we also learned that you're a family family man as well. So yeah, yeah. So it was definitely a busy time. But you know, because I I would I just didn't know. For so long, at first, we didn't know what was going to happen. How bad was COVID going to be? Yeah, uh, you know that I I found that the the screenplays were actually a really good distraction, um, and I became kind of obsessed with compassion and empathy and trauma, and so all three screenplays have you know some version are are about that at the core. And then, but yeah, it, it's a pretty big leap to, to direct your first film, though, right? Like after like. Hmm especially when you're a family, family person. And, 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 you know, like, it's like you, you have like all kinds of experience behind you, but, you know, guiding and directing a film is a whole other can of worms, I guess. Yeah, no, you know, and I was, and I, all I had to go on was, you know, half century or so of film geekery and um, just having a sense by having read and watched so much that, how how directing works, how producing works, how writing works, and somehow uh, it worked out great. And you know, um, it, and it is a team sport. And everyone, all the whole crew was so amazing. I was so lucky. I think everyone was just coming back from COVID, so they were thrilled to be working again. And everybody got paid on the set. Uh, I, I I believe that that's a really important thing. That uh, you know, in, in Canada, all too often we we don't pay people. Um, because we can't afford it, but I think that that's something we should reject if we can. Um, but no, I, I somehow I, I made it work. You know, there were no fights. Everything was collaborative. Everything was great, and everyone really believed in the project. That's that's the part that kind of uh, amazed and honored me the most is that everybody cared. You know, everyone on the cast and crew individually told me at some point you know, that this David seemed like an amazing guy and they were really proud to be a part of a project that remembered somebody like this. And that's, you know, that touched me deeply because 
that's what I wanted more than anything else because that he was an amazing person and I do miss him. And I'm so glad that we could honor him with this, with this little film. But it, it's just an amazing kind of thing where like they're everybody kind of like you work with these people and they have, but they, everybody's live, living like their secret lives, right? Like they're all living yeah. these, these, and of course he didn't tell anybody about it because it's like, he's scared to right in the context of where of, of, of the time. Right. So he doesn't well, know, like he, he, he trusts people, but he doesn't know what the, what people's like, how people are really going to react. Right. Like there's like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I kind of get it in yeah. a sense. I mean, I, I would never, uh, you know, it would be really hard to sort of guess at David's own um, motives for, for keeping it a secret. Um, my personal thought um, is that uh, it was something sacred to him. I think it's a lot like uh, a certain types of trauma that people carry. And you never know who's got horrible trauma in their past sure. or their recent past. And they don't talk about it. I think there's a lot of different cultural reasons. It it kind of gives you the mark of Cain on your shoulder if you say, "Oh, I, I was abused as a child. I was sexually assaulted." In yeah, no, yeah, nobody talks about their. I was just had a. I just had a conversation with someone about this today. It's like a Western world thing. Like, it's yeah. like people just don't talk about like grief or or pain. They just like they just not. It's something in a general sense. It's something that that uh, that people don't share. Or or you get the opposite when someone overshares. Which is yeah. a whole new problem in itself. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would keep it a secret personally. I think that I would, you know, it, it's something that you can get a lot of points for, for being this awesome person. And it, it's hard to sort of, I, I can't be certain that I wouldn't at least sometimes say, uh, yeah, I did this during the eighties and, you know, I don't want to talk about the details, but I did comfort. You know what I mean? Like, I can't be sure how I would have dealt with it. But at the same time, I do suspect it was deeply traumatic for him um, because fundamentally these people that he looked after were victims of a colossal, um, horrible, cruel amount of hatred based on their sexual orientation. And, you know, I think that there would have been really a whole bunch there would have been a lot of different feelings associated with it um including rage and heartbreak and just personal trauma i mean 50 people that's a lot i mean i've i've you know watched a couple of loved ones pass away in my life but but 50 people that that's a a staggering number yeah you know so i don't know that i mean that would take me a lifetime to process you know so i mean I, I respect his choice. I respect his choice. And I hope I'm not, you know, violating that choice by well, making that, this film. That was my next question. Have you, like, have you shown, like, if you send it to people, like, clo his family members or people close to him? Yeah. Like you know, I made, I made a point before I started doing any shooting. I got, I, I had a group meeting. He's got several brothers. And, um, excuse me, I had a... Um, I had a, yeah, we had a group call about it and I wanted them to be on, I want to make sure they were on board and they were all on board because they really wanted him to be remembered this way. Um, now it was, a, it was a bit tricky because they didn't want it to be exploited. They didn't want it to be uh, dramatized too much. They didn't, you know, um, and one of the brothers is actually, he works for fundraising at Casey house. 
and we have talked about using the film for them as a fundraising tool. Um, so, you know, it is, it has positivity, but I, I made sure that they were on board. The family was on board because I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it otherwise. Um, at the same time, you know, it was, it, they, at the time in the eighties, um, I think David was not speaking to most of his family because they, it took them a while to come around to him being gay. You know, it was yeah. traditional Irish family and they didn't embrace it at first. It took a long time. You know, you're, but, you're but, Irish too, correct? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I'm mixed Jamaican, Ukrainian, Scottish, Jewish. How come it says that in your, uh, in your bio, it says that you're, you're Irish. Uh, no, David was Irish. Oh, he's Irish. Like that's my toll. That's my total bad. Yeah. Yeah. No. Although my father's name was Maloney, which was Ukrainian. And a genealogist once approached me and said that I got my name because some Irish people emigrated to Ukraine after the famine in Ireland in the 1800s. And so that is a Ukrainianized version of the yeah. Irish name Maloney. So maybe I am Irish. That's it. Way. I was researching you before the podcast. I talked to your genealogist and that's what they told me. So, mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> it makes sense to do background. You know, you got to do yeah. deep, deep background on all your guests. You got to do deep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so your DNA uh, before the interview, please. So, so tell me, so like, how was the, like the process for you? Like, uh, I'm curious, like it's, it's, it's stressful, it's stressful, but then it's exciting because you're doing, it's all, it's almost like an altruistic film in, in, in many regards. So I'm yeah. curious about post-production for you. Cause I see that you, you had a sound person, you had a sound editor, you had a, you had another picture mm -hmm. editor as well. How is that for you kind of like as a first time director with, with, with your vast experience of the past, kind of like putting the film your film together for the first time how was that experience for you honestly it was it was so much fun it was uh it was stressful because i wanted it to work out great but at the at some point with any kind of creative project you've got to just let go of your ego and just live for the project um and obviously film is a completely team sport and very quickly talking to everyone on the team um you know, we some people were new to film, like our makeup guy had never done movies before. Um, our sound person, she she was still in school. She was a student who happened to have her own equipment. And, you know, there were a couple of glitches along the way, but everything went great. Our camera guy is really experienced. He mostly does documentaries, Eddie Cristo. Um, and uh, and our post-production team was amazing. Uh, Haley, uh, Haley Butler at uh, her production company, Sailfin productions and she was like wow you know being with a real professional post-production uh team is like wow it really you know there's always the inst the director's instinct to be like oh, do it this way not that way but when you see someone who really is a master of their craft it really it it really gives you confidence to sort of trust judgment and and let them make the call sometimes and uh no, you know, it was it was stressful because every it was all on me. There was no grown up to pat me on the head when I did right or someone to step in when I did something wrong because I had to make sure and I wanted to do it all by the book. So I got the insurance. I got all the permits. I didn't do any of the sort of student film thing. I'll just shoot. It's fine. And, you know, I didn't want any any problems. I wanted to make sure all my bases were covered because, you know, you don't have insurance, something goes wrong, your your life is ruined, basically. So I wanted to make sure everything was covered, all the boxes were ticked. And, 
you know, it's pretty straightforward. Every resource you could possibly need is online. You got the template for shot lists. And I did the shot list and I did shot lists back in radio when we were just doing audio shot lists. So, you know, I had a little bit of experience, but yeah, I mean, I just took it step by step and uh, I visualized each scene, each shot, each, each take really. So it was all kind of in my head before I even went to camera. So, you know, luckily I, I've learned my my big lesson is preparation is everything. Um, it, that's that's making a film for sure, right? So yeah, you know it. You see so many uh, of these YouTube uh, film critics who are like, "Oh, they did a lot of uh, improv, and it was you know we just went with it." I'm like, "Hell no! You gotta, you know, at least have the base. Know that you have yeah. you could put together the film with your plans." The only, yeah. the only way you can improv is when you're prepared. So, because you have that room, right? So yeah, you have that structure true. in place. Yeah, this basically, this film was my film school. And, yeah. uh, you know, considering how well it's been doing, how well it's been received, um, I, I think that I uh, I graduated. You got so, an A+. Plus. A I got because... an A+. Plus. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to pat myself on the head yeah. in that way, but I'm, I'm telling really you with how it turned out. And I'm thrilled that it's touching people. And, you know, I, I still get, emails from the cast and crew saying, you know, I was just thinking about that film and how, how exciting and wonderful it was to work on that. And, you know, so it's really, it was really a great experience and, you know, on to, on to my feature next, I guess. So the, are you surprised by the, the sixth, the film festival? Because that's a whole other, that's a whole other learning experience too. film going through, we talked about true. film freeway in the beginning like that yes. whole kind of like what festival to, to choose, what festival to pick. And it seems like you're winning all kinds of war laurels and awards. I, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of shocked by how well it did because I know how I felt about the film. I know how my heart was in it, it to, to, to the maximum extent possible. I know that it would. And I think that that is, is really key um, with any film. And if you want to do it well in festivals and that's the feedback I kept getting again and again, from the cast and crew and from festivals is that it's really clear that my heart was really in this, um, that this is clearly a passion project. Um, this is not someone trying to, you know, do what everyone else does in order to get plotted. This is really trying to say something, trying to tell a human story and something that I really care about. And even, but even so, you know, yeah, it has been doing very well in festivals and I never expected that because, you know, it's it's hard when you make a short to get one or two uh, bits of recognition at festivals, but to get what I've been getting, including at your festival, is it's kind of overwhelming. I'm I'm just blown away, and and it just fills me with so much joy. It makes me so happy that you know people recognize something, see it the way I see it, you know, because. I had to get off Twitter because it was so full of hatred and toxicity and anger. Yeah, Twitter's it, the worst. Yeah. It is. And, and it's just so easy to think that that's how the world is, just so full of anger and hatred. Yeah. And you know, Unfortunately, protest, like some people like myself, you have to stay on Twitter for business reasons. But it's. I know, uh, I know. I'm still technically on there, but I just deleted the app and I'm much more. On th and, you know, I had a few thousand followers, but now, and now I'm starting over on threads. But I mean, I just. I've just for my own mental health, I just had to back away because, you know, I just was feeling that, you know, my kids were saying that as soon as I deleted the, the app, they started saying, Daddy, you, you seem happier. What's going on? And I'm like, I guess it's because I left Twitter because, you yeah. know, 
Homophobia. It's a good lesson you said because you're 12 year old. Almost interrupted the interview, so it's a good lesson to tell your 12 year old <laughs> that, right? Because oh, yeah. I'm sure that they're oh, yeah. getting on pretty soon, right? Yeah, and you know they're they're at the age where kids are making little snide jokes and using homophobic terms all the time, and uh, you know I, they know now about the 80s, they know about AIDS, they know about gay bashing, they know about you know a lot of things that have been conveniently forgotten, you know, as if they never happened, and um, I want to make sure that they know these things. They don't need to be warriors for social justice. But I, they they need to care and see everyone as a human being, even if they're not part of that group. So, our we send you the the audience to you and the audience. What did you think about what the audience had to say about your film and the audience feedback video? Oh, wow, I was overwhelming. Honestly, I I, I kind of cried my eyes out there, because it was just the the different takes on uh, on on the film were amazing, and you know some of them saw things that I hadn't seen. You know, there is no, oh, the, the film means this and nothing else. It's it's people see what they see. And I hadn't thought about it in some of the ways that they saw it. And it was, you know, they all they all they all cared about it as much as I did. And they all saw the humanity in it. And it uh, it was really touching. I, you're, I'm going to get <laughs> I'm going to get kind of emotional remembering those videos because, you know, that's a wonderful thing that your festival does. Uh, I wish more more festivals did that because to actually get human uh, feedback on your film, it, it, it really is a powerful, powerful thing. You know, you're not just sending it out into the ether and hope for the best to actually is connecting with real human beings. And that, that meant the world to me, honestly. So thank you for that because that was really just mind blowing for me. Well, it's a great film. Congratulations, especially your first film out of the shoot. And I'm sure you're going to make more films. According to the blog interview, it says that you're you want to shoot a feature next. You're just taking the leap, I guess, right? Yes, yes. Thank you. So, congratulations on the film, and uh, I'll probably run into you on the street some sometime. Yeah, that's right, or at the schoolyard. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for the conversation. It's fantastic. All right. Take care. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, let me